This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org. Okay, I'm going to ask Gordon to come and help me. So, um, I'll give you that one. As we've said, we're going to be um, uh, largely on, for, for the next couple of months, largely on the theme of spiritual gifts. Okay, we're going to be teaching on the theme of spiritual gifts, and specifically on tongues and prophecy. And... Um, the, the reason for that is really that those two gifts are kind of paradigm gifts that, uh, that kind of em- embrace all the, uh, all the other gifts as well. So if we, if we, talk, about, uh, if we talk about those, we, we will be kind of largely covering the whole um, area of spiritual gifts. Uh, and whenever I speak, at least, I'm going to be rooting uh, what I'm going to be saying in 1 Corinthians 14. So I've asked Gordon to come and read that for us. Um, over the coming weeks, we're going to be, uh, have various people come and speak, including, I think, in about three or four weeks' time, we've got Deborah Lyon coming from Living Rock, uh, who's going to come and, and, uh, and talk about prophecy. So uh, that's going to be really good. That'll be in your bulletin soon. You can see when that's going to happen. And uh, I know Paul Nicholas is speaking, and I can't remember who else we've got. Um, but th- there's going to be a number of different people um, but really, I feel um, it's something we come back to as a church every two or three years or so, is let's come back and talk about spiritual gifts and the things of the Spirit again. Because it's almost like one of those things that we have to come and stir ourselves in, deepen our understanding, deepen our insight, perhaps increase our, um, just our sense of, of how important uh, these things are. Because the Christian life is nothing if it isn't a life in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul says you're either in the spirit or in the flesh (laughs) and in the flesh is not a good place to be and and this is a real vital part of what life in the spirit is all about so uh, we're going to begin I'm just going to pull a few things out of this today but we're going to begin by by hearing the whole of 1 Corinthians 14 read by our favorite bible reader (laughs) Mr. Gordon Blake. Morning guys I'm reading from the NIV. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the spirit especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in tongues does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and their comfort. Anyone who speaks in tongues edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. One who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. 
For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say, Amen, to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will the knights say that you are out of your mind? But if I, an unbeliever, or an inquirer come in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three, should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. If you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Great. Thank you, Gordon. Sorry, just tripping over my own cable there. Excellent. Okay. I'm just, um, I'm kind of aware this morning there's so many things I could talk about from here. And I'm, but I'm also really wanting to be aware of, of what God has already said and how first Chris came and, and caught something from the Lord, but I think caught something from our spirits as well in that cry of, of, of Lord more, give me also, Lord, give me also springs of water. And then Paul came at the end of our time and, and kind of turned it around and said, God says, I'm saying the same of you, I want more of you. And Paul here is, begins with this eagerly desire, eagerly desire, spiritual gifts. And, and the context of 1 Corinthians 14, the context of the whole of 1 Corinthians really is, is Paul bringing a series of corrections largely to bad practices that had arisen in the church in Corinth. And I'm really, really grateful that they messed up so well. Because uh, without that, there would be a whole lot of insight we would never have got. So thank you, Corinthians. 
Um, when we get to heaven, we'll shake their hands. Um, but in, in, and it seems that their attitude had been kind of, the, I, the, more, the more spiritual gifts I use, the more spiritual I am. And a lot of it is Paul overturning that, overturning this idea that it's, it's, it's the, this outward display that talks about spirituality. He says, if you want to define it as anything, it's a desire to see the house of God, the church of God built up. Six times, I think, in this passage, he talks about being built up. That's the qualifier. That's the, that's the focus. That's the goal. And, and he talks about spiritual gifts in chapter 12, and he talks again in chapter 14, and in between we get chapter 13, and what's 1 Corinthians 13 about? Love. Because he's readjusting their motivation. He's readjusting their motivation away from themselves and towards the body. And also from the display and from the gift and towards the giver of the gift. And that's what God's been drawing us to this morning, isn't it? It's more of him we want. Now the consequence of that is that there'll be more manifestations. He calls spiritual gifts manifestations of the spirit. Uh, but it's not, about, it's not about earning some kind of brownie points or some kind of distinction. It's about seeing. It's about seeing the power of God at work. It's about seeing what God wants to happen, happen. It's about seeing his church built up. It's about preferring one another. It's about becoming a people who are for the display of God's glory. And there's seven kind of chunks to this chapter, and I'm not sure that I'll get to talk about all of them, or if I do, it'll be very briefly. But he says, look, I want you to earnestly desire. He says, since you earnestly desire spiritual gifts, then, then you know, go after those that build up the church. Um, and he says, I want you all to speak in tongues. Verse 5. I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more, to prophesy. Okay? I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. And so uh, one of the things I'm aware of, and often when, we, when, I, when I teach on this passage and, and in many different contexts, people have come from many different backgrounds, many different experiences, have had lots of different teaching about spiritual gifts. But I just want to kind of nail that one there. Paul's desire, he says, I want you all to speak in tongues and even more that you would prophesy. Back in Numbers chapter 11, I think Chris has gone out with the kids, but I'm pretty sure Numbers 11 is Chris Hamer Hodge's favourite chapter in the Bible. So apologies to him for, uh, for, for, for stealing some Numbers 11. And Numbers 11, 29, what happens there is that, you know, Moses is, calls 70 of the elders together. Uh, and they're gonna, he's, God's going to take some of the anointing that's on Moses and give it to the, other, uh, to the other elders so that they can share the responsibility of leading God's people. And two of them are either late or had not bothered to, co- to go to the meeting. And when, God, when the Holy Spirit moves and, and puts this anointing on the elders, the two that weren't in the meeting still received the Holy Spirit and began to prophesy. And then, um, you know, somebody, uh, some, some kind of, you know, uh, religious zealot comes and grasses them up. And, uh, and, and Joshua, who's on, on kind of duty standing at the, at the door of the tent, uh, goes and says to Moses, look, Moses, there's a report coming in. These two guys, they've, they've started prophesying out in the camp. And Moses says this, he says, I wish that all of God's people were prophets and that he would put his spirit on all of them. And, uh, and I love the fact that he wishes it. <laughs> he was a prophet. He could have kind of boldly declared it. He could have, but he said, I wish. It's my, it's my desire. I want to see everyone, 
all of God's people filled with the Holy Spirit and all of them prophesying. And you know, Moses' wish came true. It became something a little bit more than a wish in the, in the, in the prophets, and particularly the prophet Joel, who says, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, says the Lord, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And Peter takes that scripture and explains what happens at Pentecost. Uh, when, when, when the, the Holy Spirit came upon this 120 and they broke into the street speaking in different tongues and declaring the goodness of God. They were prophesying in those tongues, interestingly. And he says, look, this is what Joel talked about, that God will pour out his spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy. And so the only qualifications you need to, for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit is that you're made of flesh. So let's just check that one. Uh, if you're within poking distance of the person next to you, just... Just confirm that they are not some kind of ghostly apparition. Okay. And, uh, and the, only, the only condition to prophesy is that you're someone's son or someone's daughter. So do we have anyone here who just kind of spontaneously came into being? Or, or do you all at least in some shape or form have a father and a mother? When I say shape or form, I'm thinking of myself. You know, my, I know this is a, kind of an unusual shape, but... Uh, uh, God was gracious to my kids and they ended up looking better than me. Maybe it was, the, it was the genes that my wife brought to the marriage. Praise God for those. Okay, we're all sons and daughters. We're all flesh. We qualify. And Paul says, look, I want you all to speak in tongues and I want you all to prophesy. Now, why does he want everyone to speak in tongues and everyone to prophesy? Well, there's a number, there's a number of reasons. But first of all, he tells us that tongues is a particularly unique gift because of where, the way it works. In fact, because of who it works on. He says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds what? Himself up. But the one who prophesies does what? Builds, builds the church up. And, and that's really true of, of, of all the other gifts as well. I think of words of knowledge, words of wisdom, healing, miracles, discernment. Okay, that's all going to be part of building what God is doing. And this, this word for build, building up, kind of just linking back into what we've been talking about in, in, uh, in Ephesians lately, the word is, is, is the word that's used to build a house. Okay, so it's like putting one brick on top of another. Or as we're a spiritual house, one living stone on top of another. And he's saying, look, whenever, whenever you come together, your goal should be being built up. It doesn't just mean I feel better when I went out than when I came in, although it, it probably will mean that as well. But it says... It's, has our coming together actually shown us as, that there is something discernible about the house being built? Hopefully, hopefully plenty of you are going to come to open home this afternoon because there's quite a lot of food that needs eating. But if you've not been to our house for a while, you'll notice that the house across the street has been built up. It was just a bungalow. It's now a touring, uh, you know, a, a, a really big two-story building with this massive roof that's going on. It looks, it looks fantastic. And you can, every day we come, out, we come out and we can look and we can see the house has been built up. Something's been added. Something more is in place. The job is, is, is closer to being finished. There is, there's, there's, there's steps being made. And when we come together, that's the kind of building up we're looking for. And that's the building up that the Holy Spirit wants to achieve through the gifts of the Spirit. And the same with tongues is true for us personally. That it's about building up this house. It's about building up this temple of the Holy Spirit. My, my, who I am. Building myself up on the inside. Building up the inner me. Building up the spiritual man. And, and so Paul says, look, I want you to do both because they both have a, a, a unique purpose. But one is largely aimed at the individual and the other is aimed at the church. 
Okay? He says when we... Speaking, one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. And, and I thought there was an interesting echo here of, of what we were talking about recently as well, in terms of g- hidden mystery and revealed glory. Because the one who speaks in tongues speaks mysteries to God. And of course, mysteries don't just mean things you don't know, they mean things that God wants to reveal, things that He wants to reveal about His kingdom. And when God matches the message in tongues with the gift of interpretation, we actually see, if you like, this kind of, before our very eyes, mysteries being revealed. What was hidden being made known. But Paul is really, really concerned that when the Holy Spirit works in the church, we can, we can say we understand what's going on, we know what's going on. And he uses this phrase, and if I ever write a book, which I might do, but don't hold me to it. If I ever write a book about prophecy in the, local, in the, in the church... I want to call it five intelligible words. Because that's, I don't know what it said in the NIV, but in the ESV, when he says, look, I would rather speak five intelligible words with my understanding than 10,000 words in a tongue. Not because the tongue is, is, is not of God, not because it's not spiritual, but because it, it, unless others can understand it, it can't work to build up the church. Okay? So, but what I want us to take from here is Paul said, look, Eagerly desire, earnestly desire, have a heart for more of God, have a heart for for greater manifestations of his spirit through us. Every one of you, every one of you, I know I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to look in any particular direction, but I I know, I know if if you were a visitor, if you are a visitor to this church, but if you're a visitor to this church and you came along and you think, oh yeah, they have quite a lot of, of kind of different contributions in the meeting, lots of people doing different things, spiritual gifts, that looks really good, that's really good. And if you came along a second week, you'd probably think the same. And by the time you come along five or six weeks, you'd probably realise that it's probably the same 12 or so people. <laughs> now, it's funny, but it's kind of true in just about every church I'm aware of. You know, and it's a big, big... It's a long way forward from nobody saying anything and you're just you know, following the service and doing what you're told. But I don't think it quite, we're quite at 1 Corinthians 14 yet. The interesting thing, it seems likely that one of the problems of the church in Corinth had is they were conducting all, the whole of their meeting in tongues. So nobody knew what was going on. And if you, if you kind of approach this chapter with that parameters, to think that Paul even says anything positive about tongues is amazing. But the fact that he kind of like says, I want you all to speak in tongues, and at the end he says, don't prohibit speaking in tongues, is I think quite, quite remarkable because I think most modern church leaders, if they were faced with that kind of situation, would just say, well, the first thing we're going to do, we're all going to stop speaking in tongues. But he doesn't do that. Why? Because it's an important part of what the Holy Spirit has done. And we'll unpack, and I'm sure Ezekiel will unpack some of that for us next time. But let's be those who eagerly desire, who say, I want to play my part in building up the body. You know, this isn't the only time the church meets, does it? We meet in homes through the week. We meet in coffee shops. We meet, some of us, down the pub. Okay? We meet as we go for a walk. Yeah, Jesus says, if two or three of you gather together in my name, there I am in the midst. And, and you know, all the in my name bit really means is with a conscious consciously centering our, our time, our, our friendship, our conversation on Jesus. Do you know, by the way, you can pray in the pub? You can pray in the coffee shop? You can pray in the street corner? Yeah? 
It's really, it's really not a problem. You can, uh, you, anywhere, it's just, it's the, it's the two or three of us. We're saying, we're, we're, we're meeting here to honour Jesus. We're meeting here, because, centering our lives around Jesus. It doesn't mean every conversation you have is going to have Jesus in it. It doesn't mean that if you're talking about football, you're trying to debate which team Jesus would support or anything like that. But um, it just, it's just allowing the, the, the reality of the Holy Spirit in us. And that means that every place we meet is an opportunity for a manifestation of the Spirit, to move in a gift of the Spirit. You know, can you imagine when you meet, you know, you know, if, you've, you know if you're facing a tough time and you meet with some friends and you share the problems that you have with them and you're hoping for some help, wouldn't it be great if the help came in the form of a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom? Yeah? Wouldn't that be much, much more helpful than, than you know, your friends trying to rack their brain for all relevant experience or the article they read on the internet the other day? But to actually think, actually, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring the mind of God on this subject. I remember one time um, hearing uh, Kerry Jones say about the, the gift of wisdom he said, the only thing you need to, tr- uh, to release the gift of wisdom is to believe that God has an opinion on everything. He said, if you believe God has an opinion on everything, whatever situation you face, you can just ask him what he thinks about it. And what the Holy Spirit tells you, that's probably what we call a word of wisdom. Um, and and uh, anyone here convinced that God has an opinion on everything? Yeah. I believe he does. Okay, so... I, I, want us, I want us in our pursuit of more of God to say we earnestly desire, we're going to go after. We want, Lord, I want you to use me to manifest your spirit to my brothers and sisters, to my church. And then what about out in the world as well? Because so many of the gifts of the spirit, in fact, the heart of what prophecy is, okay, the testimony of Jesus, Romans, uh, Revelation 19 tells us, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, at the heart of prophecy is wanting to proclaim who Jesus is. Well, hey, we're full of, in a room of people who have a pretty good handle on who Jesus is, but we live in a city with hundreds of thousands of people who have no idea who he is. It sounds to me like they need to be prophesied to more than we do. Yeah? And I think that's why we can think of things like miracles and healing and words of wisdom and words of knowledge as part of the prophetic community that God has called us to be. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, in Earlston, in Stichel, in Wyken, in Coventry, in Warwickshire, to the ends of the earth. I think that's Leicestershire, isn't it? Um, <laughs> nice to see you, Hilary. <laughs> it's that prophetic thrust, you, you know, that... that, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Prophecy is, is fundamentally about making Jesus known. And, um, you know, and, and in that sense, everything that's our, our kind of evangelistic thrust into the world is, is, is part of what it means to be a prophetic people. And how many of us are eagerly desiring, wake up in the morning, eagerly desiring and saying, Holy Spirit, give me something today that I can use to, to help somebody know who Jesus is. Um, eagerly desire. Eagerly desire. I love what, where Paul goes next with, with verses 6 to 12. And he talks, he talks, he gives us this kind of extended metaphor of we are musical instruments and the Holy Spirit is the breath. I like that. We don't have any, don't have any wind instruments here, do we? We don't often have wind instruments in the band. We maybe could do with a few more. 
I know there's one or two of you that play them, so, you know, get them out, dust them off, pray for an anointing. Um, the, the Spirit came on Gideon and he blew a trumpet, so... Uh, um, but I love this picture, and, and, he said, he's, and, and then there's two, ways, there's two ways he applies it. And I don't want to read too much into this, but I just like the picture. He says, he says first of all, it can be just like a beautiful sound, but it, it needs to be coordinated. And, and, you know, when we're together and the Holy Spirit blows through us and we offer ourselves as instruments to him, it makes this beautiful coordinated sound, like an orchestra. Not the tuning up part, but, you know, when they actually get down to... You know, some of it, maybe, you know, sometimes, sometimes it feels like first thing in the morning, we sound like the bagpipes being warmed up, doesn't it? <laughs> but um, but, but that, that sound where it coordinates into something and people can hear what's being played. And then he uses the image of the idea of, of, of in the army, of the bugler, who, who communicates commands through the different tunes he plays on the, on the bugle. And, and, and so you get this wonderful picture, if you like, of, of the way that the Holy Spirit wants to blow through all of us to make this beautiful sound of praise to God. But that there are other times when he wants to blow with a clarity through one voice so everyone can say, I know exactly what God is saying. And I, and I love that the, the kind of the same image kind of works for both of those. If you want to grow in, in, in prophetic gift, I encourage you, just, just give yourself to worship. Just give yourself to being used to what it sounds like when the Holy Spirit blows through you this morning did you hear that this morning a little bit when Adam and Paula were just singing one was singing one and one was responding something to it and of course it was Adam and of course it was Paula and of course it was their minds and their musical ability but there was the Holy Spirit was blowing through that the Holy Spirit was blowing through that so get in get in the flow of what the of what the Spirit's doing allow you know what does it say in the scripture in Ephesians 5 it says sing and make music in your heart to the Lord I believe one of the reasons that there's a dearth of creativity in our society is, is people don't sing. And it would be tragic if that were also true in the church. We give space when we worship, don't we? We give space to allow us to experiment and to sing and just to be creative and to stir ourselves. I want you to encourage you to do that. Do you know what? It's perfectly fine to sing without any words. There's a lot of that in the Psalms. Singing and making music in your heart, making melody in your heart to the Lord. There's no talk about any lyrics there. This is just kind of my excuse because I can never remember the words to anything. But, you know. um, <laughs> but actually beginning to flow, it, it, it will release two things. It will release a creativity in worship. But it will also help you because the scripture says you're being filled with the Spirit as you sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. You're actually allowing the Holy Spirit to, to breathe through you, to blow through you. And, and, and you, may, you may become more comfortable at this, I'm just, I'm just making a beautiful sound to the Lord. And we finish and then, you know, Seth's there noodling away between the songs. He's a great noodler. I taught him all the noodles I know. Um, but you know what, the, what that is? It's a space for us to go, I'm just going to be creative. I'm just going to express my heart to God. And you know, once we, we get used to that, you, you find that sometimes the Holy Spirit says, you know, that's beautiful and that's lovely. You playing second viola in the orchestra there, that part that nobody really knows what they're doing. And that's fine. And if you want to be anonymous, that's what he said. But you know what? I want to use you as a bugle. I want to use you as a trumpet. I've got something clear and powerful Five intelligible words that I want you to come and share with my people that's going to build them up. Wow. Can I do that? Yes. Because I'll pour out my spirit and all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy. We'll come back to this another time because I do want to do a whole session on this. But from verse 13 to 19, he basically tells us how to get from mystery to revelation. 
He says, what will I do? He says, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll pray with my spirit and I'll pray with my understanding. I'll sing in the spirit and I'll sing with my understanding. And just in case you don't fully understand what Paul means, he means, he says, I'll do some praying in tongues and then I'll do some praying in, for us, English. And then I'll do some singing in tongues and then I'll do some singing in English. And it's not just like a bit of, bit of one and a bit of the other. He's actually connecting something. Because revelation comes from the spirit to the mind. It doesn't go the other way around. And he said, if you can sing and pray in the spirit, you begin to speak out mysteries to God. And you know what happens then? That sometimes the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to you those mysteries. That's why he says anyone that speaks in a tongue should pray that he might interpret. What does the mystery mean? You know, I think there are thousands and thousands of mysteries. Because I think, who was it that spoke? Who was it that, that was, it, was it Charis? That when we were in Ephesians 2 about the works that he prepared in us at advance for us to do? Was that part of your talk? <laughs> we were his workmanship created for... Yeah, that was, that was in that. Yeah, it was in that one. You know, you know your destiny is, is woven into the mystery of God. And, and all the, in a sense, all the great mysteries have been revealed to us in the New Testament writings. You know, the mystery of, the mystery of godliness that, that God would take on flesh. Um, the mystery of the, of, the, of the one new man in Christ, that, that it's no longer about Jew and Gentile, but it's about those who put their faith in. The mystery of marriage, that actually marriage is supposed to be a witness to the world about the relationship Jesus has with his bride. Some of these big mysteries. But you know what? There are details in the mystery that really apply perhaps only to you. And you know where God has hidden those mysteries? In his spirit that he's put in you. And I believe that when, when we speak... I said I wasn't going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about this another time, but I'm going to talk about it now. That when we, when we speak in the Spirit, when we sing in tongues, when we speak in tongues, that, that, that we're drawing out things that our spirit knows, our mind doesn't know yet. And they could be great big things that God wants you to come and bring and, and, and bring, to the, bring to the church and see the church built up. But they could just be just discovering something new and fresh and the next step of what he's got for you in your life. And you prophesy it over yourself. Or it becomes a prayer that you pray to him from your own heart. Anyway, we will talk more about that some other time. He then talks about, he goes on in verse 20 to 25 to talk about spiritual signs. And this is where chapter 14 really starts to get difficult, in my opinion. Did anyone, did anyone have a couple of moments when Gordon was reading and you went, ooh, I don't, I don't know about that. Yeah? Because it kind of sounded like we'd already broken, you know, broken the, the, the law of the scripture, didn't it, this morning when he got to it, he said, women should remain silent in church. And that hasn't happened. Um, <laughs> we'll, 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 get to, we'll get to that. But I love this. He Because he, it seems, he's, first of all, he says that, 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 that tongues are a sign for unbelievers. But if you're all speaking in tongues, everyone will think you're mad. And then he says that prophecy is a sign for believers, but if unbelievers hear it, then they'll fall on their knees and repent. And you think, this is a bit odd. I think he's, did he get confused? Was he having a senior moment? What was going on here? Well, it is a bit odd until you remember what happened at Pentecost. Because at Pentecost, tongues was a sign to unbelievers because they each heard what the, the praises of God in their own language. It was a sign. It got attention. It drew people and prophecy at Pentecost, I believe, was a sign, and every time we prophesy was a sign to the believers, because it was a sign that what God had promised, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, was happening. And every time we prophesy now, every time we prophesy, every time you hear a prophecy or you speak a prophecy, you are, you are testi- testifying to yourself and are being assigned to yourself and to others that we live in the age of the outpouring of the spirit. 
And you know, the key characteristic of the time of the outpouring of the Spirit is a phrase that Jesus uses many times, and it's this, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Mary gets an early insight on that when the angel comes and talks to her and says, you know, you're going to have a baby. And she says, how will it be? And he says, the Holy Spirit. And nothing will be impossible. She kind of gets Pentecost like 30 years before everyone else, in a sense. She comes into this living in, 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 in this new era of possibilities. Jesus says, with man, these things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And it's the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that makes... So regardless of the content of prophecy, every time you hear a prophecy or you bring a prophecy, it's a reminder we live in the days when, things, when we can do the impossible. When God is doing the impossible, where, where there is nothing that is impossible with him. He then goes on to talk about orderly worship. And I'm just going to skim through here quickly because, like I said, we've got future weeks to come back and pick some of this up. He talks about how the gifts should flow together. That two or three prophets should speak. And I think by the prophet he means here anyone that prophesies. Two or three prophets should speak. Two and three is two or three is, is, is a recurring phrase in scripture, and it's the it's the it's the number of witness. So it's saying that we should expect that when a prophecy comes, that they won't just come as an as an individual thing, but actually there'll be two and three that speak the same thing, that speak the same message. Maybe they each speak part of the same message and together they build a whole, or maybe they kind of layer over each other and affirm what's being said. And that does two things. First of all, it gives us a confidence that what we're hearing is from the Holy Spirit. But secondly, he says something is established by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the scripture says. So there's a sense that when you hear the same word repeated or a similar word, that it becomes more and more established in our lives. It becomes more and more something we can build on as a church to see us built up. So it's important that we have that, that it isn't just, well, we've, you know, we've hit our prophecy, we've had a prophecy today, we can tick that off. No, we should expect that, there's, that these gifts come and they, they work together and they flow together. And then he says, when you come to tongues, he says, you should have two or at most three. He puts, actually puts a limit on it. It's not kind of like a figurative two or three. It's a, no more than two or three. Why? Because it's really important that we understand everything that's going on. And a tongue is always followed by one of two things, either another tongue, because there could be two or three, or the interpretation to the tongue. Um, and, and he says, look, this is how we keep order. This is how, because what I want you to receive, I want this to be something that can be built into the life of the church. This is something that builds us up. Okay, verse 33 to 35. Now, now we have a problem. What about the women? Not that we don't have a problem with women, we have a problem with these verses, don't we? Anyone, anyone find them problematic when we read it? I, I know you're all wanting to kind of be very honouring of the scripture and go, oh no, no, it's wonderful, word of God, let me... Um, it's, it's problematic, isn't it? Let me give you four ways, four ways that people deal with this little passage here. So um, the first one is some, some Bible scholars and some Bible teachers, they come and they look at this and they go, well, Paul didn't write that. Uh, those three verses, they were added later. Um, and, uh, and there's some very well-known, very well-respected Bible scholars that believe that. And there is some kind of historic evidence around the early texts that they base that on. Um, I, I would say that would be the last explanation I would like to go to, because if we start taking bits of the scripture out because we think they weren't original, 
well, who's the judge on which bits go and which bits remain? Okay? I don't think any of us here are qualified to do that. Okay? What we have here is the best possible scholarship. Uh, we have uh, centuries of, of, of faithfully transmitted manuscripts. And we have the Holy Spirit overseeing the whole process. So I, I don't want to take three verses out of my Bible because they are troublesome. Even if kind of... From a scholarly point of view, there might be a little bit of basis to doing that. The next is to say, well, this is exactly what Paul meant, that in church meetings, women should be silent. Now, that gives me an even bigger problem, because just three chapters earlier, Paul lays out the instructions for how men and women should prophesy. So either he's changed his theology between chapter 11 and chapter 14, or we kind of have to say that's not a valid interpretation of this either. It must mean, it must mean something else. Um, and, and equally, we know on that, he had, he had at least one female teacher as part of his kind of apostolic team um, called Priscilla. Okay? So, um, you know, that, that, that kind of doesn't really satisfy us, does it say? That we, well, well, it means exactly what it says. Okay, here's another one. And this is where a lot of scholars go. And they say, well, he's, he's addressing a specific aspect of unruliness on the church, in the church in Corinth. We know that their meetings were chaotic. Some people were getting drunk. Other people couldn't even get to the table to have a little nibble of bread and were starving. Um, there was divisions. You know, maybe, maybe there was all this kind of extended speaking in tongues. It was chaos. It was, it was unedifying. In fact, people were dying because they were, being, they were doing church so badly. That's what he says, isn't it, when in chapter 11 about the, the, the wrong way they come around the table. So, so maybe we have some scope to think that, that, that maybe he's addressing another particular uh, thing to, to, the, to the situation. And I think there's some merit in this, because almost certainly what would have happened at that time is that the men and the women would have been sat in different areas of the room. And, and so we can easily imagine that part of the problem might have been that when, when prophecy was brought... Uh, you know, a little discussion would happen among the women. Why among the women? Well, I would, I would. So this is just my own. This is just my own take. But normally, when spiritual things happen, most men go, "Amen, Hallelujah," because they think by agreeing with it, they'll sound spiritual, even if, even though it makes no sense. I've been, in, I've been in meetings where, where, where people are so programmed to say Amen that the preacher says something negative. They're not really listening, and they Amen it. <laughs> I've been there. Have you been there? I've been there. I've been in those meetings. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not really paying attention. They just, they're just paying attention enough to hear when he stops speaking. They go, amen! And you say, really, it wasn't an amen moment, brother. Um, so I can imagine, I can imagine that the guys would all be there going, yes, amen, that's wonderful. Whereas the women are going, hang on a minute, that doesn't make any sense. And a little discussion starts. So I can imagine that as a possible issue that, that Paul is dealing with. The slight problem with that is that, is he talking about this is, this is a rule for all the churches? And depending on where you put the punctuation, and the ESV that I read and the NIV that Gordon reads, put it in a slightly different place. So the NIV tends to, tends to lead you towards like the, what he's talking previously is what happens in all the churches, not the next bit. Anyway, so that's, that's one way. And the final way that I, that I see, and I, I quite like this as well, I think this is helpful, is, is that Paul, as he is for much of the structure of 1 Corinthians, is answering questions that have been posed by the church. Okay, and so the way that Gordon read it in the NIV can, can lead us to think this. That the, the, the bit that says, um, oh, my Bible's open in Romans, why is that? Uh, 
So uh, the part that says... Women should keep silent in the churches they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law says. If they desire anything to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church, is actually a question being posed to Paul. And his answer is, well, has, did, the law begin with, did the word of God begin with you? Because the, the way he says there, or, is a, is, a, is a way in Greek of actually an injunction to say, well, but, or what? Now, I'm not sure which of those is, is true, but we have to allow the scripture to speak to the scripture. So one thing I, I'm, I'm certain of, because of 1 Corinthians 11, is Paul is not saying women must never speak in church. Um, but what it does emphasize for us, and what I think we can take away from this, is it's, again, it's his concern is with things being done in an orderly way. Now, God's order sometimes doesn't look like our order. That's the first thing to say. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's order can look like chaos to unspiritualize. Yeah, which is why I think it's always a very bad idea. You know when churches put out videos of, of ministry times when the Holy Spirit's moving and all kinds of weird stuff's happening? Yeah? It very, very rarely translates through a, through a YouTube screen. It just looks weird, doesn't it? It just looks, it just looks weird. Even, even if you know that it was God moving and you think, that, you know, because the, the Holy Spirit's order, good order, sometimes can look ridiculous to us. So we're not talking about everything has to be done exactly this way and exactly. But it, there's an order, and he says, Here's, "Here you always go back to what's the defining factor of what makes it orderly? It's that the church is built up. That any you could ask anyone that left that meeting, what did God say? And they'd be able to tell you. And ask them, what are you going to do about that? What's the church going to do about that? How does that impact you? And everyone would go say, well, I think it'll probably be something like this. Or this is what God said to me. And this is how I'm going to act on it. That's, that's a good way of knowing. Has, has this time been orderly? Has there been a clarity? Are we being built up? And then the final thing he says this. <laughs> like this. This is his proof for spiritual maturity. He says, look, if you think you're spiritual or a prophet, this is how we're going to judge whether that's the case or not. You agree with me. Don't you like that? Not me. Not me, Matthew. Paul. He says, you'll agree that what I'm teaching is the word of God. He says, look, that's, this is part of, partly it's the ministry of the apostle to be able to come in and say, look, this is, this is the gospel. This is, this is what the church should be like. This is how we bring order. But he says, look, maturity is never proved in how radical and different you can be, how unusual you can be, how, how outspoken you can be. He says, if you're truly spiritual, if you're truly a prophet, you'll acknowledge, because if you're truly a prophet, you'll have the, the heart of the prophet, which is to see the house of God built. If you're truly spiritual, you'll have the heart of a spiritual person, which is to say, it's about, it's about the, the giver, not the gift. It's about seeing his blessing come to his people. It's not about promoting me. It's not about what, what it looks like on the outside. It's about what has been built. And then he finishes this way. So my brothers, earnestly desire, he's back again where he started. This is where I'm going to end for you as well. Earnestly desire to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Okay, Earnestly desire to prophesy. And that really is kind of my appeal <laughs> to you guys. And why we're on this theme for a while is, is give yourself to pursuing the gifts that God has for you. The gifts that he has for every one of us. Give yourself to speaking in tongues. Interestingly, I think the context of everything Paul says here is the church meeting. But actually, the, 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 the much more important place where speaking in tongues happens is outside of that. It's in the 166 hours in the rest of the week. 
Because I can continually live building myself up. I can continually live in this place of, of allowing the Holy Spirit to, to blow through me, to make a sound. I can continually live in this dynamic of mysteries becoming revealed. Um, that's, 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 something to, that's something to treasure and to pursue. Come here next Saturday morning. Here is Ezekiel. He's going to talk about this stuff. It's going to be fantastic. I guarantee it could change your life. But eagerly desire prophecy. Eagerly desire to be the one that brings the word of God, that builds one another up. That's for our, 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 um, our, our building up, our cheering up, and our stirring up. That's what we get in verse 3. That's what prophecy is there to do. Um, pursue God in these things. Run after him in them. Let's be a people, not in the chaos of the Corinthians, but let's be the people that Paul was shaping them to be, where the, the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit, were flowing continually in good order, building up the church and preparing a people who can go and bring a revelation of Jesus Christ to the world around them. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Can I ask you to stand? I'm just aware that there may be some of you in the room that have never experienced moving in these gifts. I believe that the Bible says, when the Bible says about Jesus that he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with power, and then when in Acts chapter 2 we find what that looks like, Our expectation is that God wants to fill every one of us with the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants to baptize every one of us with the Holy Spirit. And he wants every one of us to speak in tongues and to prophesy. And if you've not experienced that, I want to tell you there is an experience and uh, an encounter with the Holy Spirit that God wants you to have. He wants you to have it. He desires it. He wants to bless you with it. He wants you to know what that's like. Because it's going to unlock many, many things for your life. And so if you've never experienced that before, just as I pray now, I'm going to pray one of the things that God does is that he baptizes people in the Holy Spirit, that he releases and imparts the gift of tongues. For all of us, that there's a a fresh measure of his spirit upon us and a fresh anointing to prophesy. So Lord, let's just reach to him again. Remember what he's already said to us about more. Holy Spirit, we just call on you now to pour yourself afresh upon us. Lord, I pray for those that have never experienced what it is to be baptized in you, what it is to be immersed in you, to to come into an experience of relationship with you that overflows through through, through the the gift of tongues and and, and empowers us and, and releases us as witnesses. Lord, come upon us now afresh, we pray, Lord. For those who need that, let that be their experience right now. And Lord, for every one of us in this room, without exception, Lord, we say more of you. We say more of you. Lord, let there be a fresh anointing upon us. Lord, let us step out in gifts and in new measures of gift. Lord, let us be released to be more effective in our witnessing for you, Lord Jesus, as those who make you known everywhere we go. Lord, release us from having to filter everything first through our mind, but let us be those whose minds are set on the Spirit. And Holy Spirit, take the lead in our lives. Lord, release a a fresh flow of of worship as we sing and make music in our heart to you and we experience the fresh filling of the Holy Spirit in doing that. 
And Lord, let what comes out of our mouths, let, the, let, let that be produced by your breath, Holy Spirit. Lord, to make a beautiful sound of worship, but also to make the trumpet call of the declaration. Holy Spirit, fall afresh upon us. We stir up the well of living water within us. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.